today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie Finding ourselves in hospital for a short or an extended stay can be a very frightening experience for any patient. Some people will be dealing with life-changing injuries or the long-term impacts of a health condition, something like a stroke, for example, that will need to be managed into their futures. And of course, other families will be coming to terms with the impending death of a much-loved relative. So... What is the role of a chaplain in a hospital and how can he or she help to ease those fears? Well, I'm joined now in the studio by Reverend Trevor Holmes, who's a healthcare chaplain who works in the North Dublin Acute Hospitals. Trevor, it's lovely to have you here. It's nice to be here, Claire. Thank you. It's a it's a really interesting uh, job, but you might just tell us what it in, entails, because I, I know many people listening to this won't know. So what do you do? In, in lots of ways, it's a, it's a really rewarding jo- job, but it's hard to define as well. Chaplains do nothing in many, many ways, but they are, they're just there. We're a presence for... So I joke with patients and I'll say, say, I have the best job in the world. I walk around and talk to people all day long, say the odd prayer here and there, and I get paid for it. How good can it be? How better can it get? But listen, I'm, I'm sure some people are delighted to see you and others not so much. How do you deal with that? It's, well, when you commit to chaplaining people, you commit to chaplaining all faiths and none. So it's, while I may be, may be an ordained minister, the chaplain role is actually can be lay or ordained. So you're there to support everybody. And so it's it's the same as in everyday life. If people decline a visit, that's fine. They decline a visit and, you know, you, t- you take you move that. On. You move on. Or, or you try to have, quite often, somebody would say, I don't want a priest. My next line will be, well, I was a human being first. Do you want one of them? <laughs> right. And then does that change the response? Well, you can then? get, you get, you get a, what you're always trying to get is, is a relationship going. Uh, so, some way of just having a kind of conversation to get an in into the, the, the person and their environment and how they're, how they're feeling. And if they dismiss you, that's fine. You just move mm. on to the next person. So say you have somebody who is of no faith and they decide, well, I want to speak uh, to Trevor. Do you have to change how you have that conversation? Because maybe prayer won't be part of it. It won't, it, it won't be if they don't. If they don't don't want to, and even for those with a faith, even with uh, even those that are maybe Christian, may not want a prayer either. the The role of the chaplain, in many ways, is to be the active, empathetic listener. It's to try and find out what's going on for the patient at that point in time. And our role often is to reframe things. Is to try. Usually, the patient is seeking something, seeking meaning or understanding. They're struggling with, with, with something. I would refer to it as spiritual pain. We can talk about that maybe a, a different, a different moment. But you're trying to just scratch away at what's actually going on inside the, the patient. What is it they want to talk to you about? And that's the secret. It's, it's not about the prayer. It's not about quoting scripture. It's not about, I can do all, all those things if needed. It's actually about where's the patient at right now? What's going on for them in this moment? And what do they actually need? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, of course, you're dealing with end of life and I want to talk to you about that. But often you're dealing with people who are in there for, I don't know, post-operative recovery, for example. They're maybe going back out to live their life as they normally would or they have a, a life-changing injury that they're recovering recovering from. I mentioned a stroke as well. Are they still thinking about the bigger questions even if they're not looking at end of life? Yeah, I, I think what, what happens in the in the business of everyday life in modern living, people don't have reflection time, don't have time to actually stop, just think what's going on. When you're in a hospital ward and you're lying that, on that bed, if you're not being trekked up and down for tests, and as I've, there's an awful lot of time. You know, you're woken up at 6.30 in the, mo- in the morning. And so it may not be the bigger questions in life. 
what it may be is the, the, the why me uh, a question or what did I do wrong uh, a quest question how did I end up here and I mean what Chapman's realised very fast is it's the, the, the whatever the condition is doesn't necessarily dictate what the patient is so for example the stroke patient may have come to terms with it very fast or may not but it may be the patient with the ingrown toenail or the smaller addiction that is really struggling in the hospital and environments so yes do they do they change the, the do, do you change your modes of brandy not not really you you, mm-hmm. you go and find out what's going on for the patient in that moment and then explore what's going on but the, it, yeah. it, it, hospitals raise questions for everybody. And I was thinking about this. Like, you, if you're in for a long stay and you see Trevor regularly, is it very difficult for these people? I don't know if you could answer this for me. Who leave hospital and don't see Trevor anymore? Ah, it was difficult for Trevor. I can speak for that. <laughs> I can speak for that. Def, de, de, definitely. The interesting role of the chaplain is you accompany for a, a, a specific period of time, and that's what makes the role very, very unusual. Is you meet up with somebody who you don't know on, on day one. You don't know how long the journey is going to be with them nor do you know where the destination is going to be and if that destination can, can be recovery and home that des- destination can be into step down facility, facility convalescent home that uh, destination can be into palliative care and hospice or that des- destination may be end of life and death in the hospital in mm. envir- environment so yes you get used to not saying goodbyes uh, a former colleague of mine who chaplained in one of the hospitals I remember her telling a story of spending the weekend with the family after a serious car crash and looking a- after them with a teenage a teenager involved and they, at the Sunday night everything had turned out alright and they were just about to go home so it's early hours of Sunday morning and she turned to wave goodbye to them and the family were walking down the corridor with their backs to her and she thought oh my god that, that is what Chapman's is about I've given up my whole weekend is, but your life is back to back together and you're and gone you're gone mm-hmm. and so yes for the patient then you, you, you asked me some patients will try to make contact afterwards but, that, but that's not fair in other colleagues whose role then in other environments is to, is to chaplain and then there are patients who your relationship is so intense or so deep that you you yourself wish to continue it, particularly you know if the condition is life limiting, and you've actually built a, a, a rapport with that patient, and you think they may find it difficult to build the deepness of that rapport with somebody else, or to trust somebody with what's going on inside them, mm-hmm. with their thoughts and their, fear, their fears. Do you find that difficult when you're dealing with somebody who's coming towards end of life, or do you just see it as part of the job? Uh, it, it 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 depends on the circumstance. It's it's it, it, there's nobody who can say it's it's glib and it's part of the job. Okay, it different patients get under your skin for different reasons, and you have to be aware of what's going on within yourself. And you've got to be like any good nurse or doctor. You've got to find mechanisms where you can leave behind when you go home in the evening. Well, that, that's not always easy. That's mm-hmm. not always easy. And so most chaplains will have regular supervision as uh, as a therapist would as well. Okay, so, so to be able to deal with this Yeah, and, and, to, and to look at what the baggage you may be carrying, which, yep. that you actually don't realise. We often see, um, particularly on social media sites, a, a hospital chaplain or a palliative care nurse tells us about the 10 things that they have learned from people who are at end of life. Do you find yourself thinking about the things now that you've been told from people who are coming to that stage that you wish everybody knew? You know, these are the important things in your life as you're going about day to day. In, in many ways, yes, but there are things we already know. We already know. I mean, that I the, the, the story I always tell to colleague, colleagues is of a priest at a you know funeral saying, "I am forty years in ministry, and never once has somebody said I wish I spent more time in the office." And it's the what the, the real issue when you're coming down that road is what questions are going on? Have people what gives people meaning in life? Where's their support from? 
Where are they looking for forgiveness for themselves, for others, for God? For God? What's gone wrong that they want to actually correct before it comes to the, 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 the end? And how can you assist them and help them in doing, doing that mm-hmm. without being intrusive, without being in any, any way intrusive? Which the, in terms of creating the list, it says the 10 things I'll do yes. before I die. Uh, it's not quite that simple. I haven't quite got to, to, to generate my yeah. own bucket list yet. <laughs> yet, yet. But the point is, one of the things that, that strikes me has been so critical we don't do is uh, talking about death. We are very good in Ireland on the ritual side. We know how to do the rituals of funerals and wakes really well. We aren't afraid of death in the way other cultures may be afraid, afraid of de- death. Is. But we don't really like to talk about it until we get onto that final trajectory. And yet, every one of us is going to die. It's a natural part of who we are. And if only people could open up and I use my own experience. My, my father wouldn't talk about wills or de- death or anything else until the death of my mother three years before he, before he died. And suddenly it became the, the source of conversation. And everything was open for discussion after that. It was almost like he'd been given a liberty, a freedom, a permission to talk about it. Yeah, it's difficult though, isn't it? Like we can talk about how the arrival of a child is going to completely change your life forever. But it's uncomfortable to talk about how death is going to change the lives of the people that you're going to leave behind. It's not an easy one. It, it, it isn't. And in many ways, we're rejoicing the, the, the safe arrival of a child. But in lots of ways, we've also got to learn to rejoice, irregardless of how short the life is, you know, where we can rejoice in the life. Now, I don't want to that sound glib because, I mean, one, one thing that's dramatic is unexpected death for, in any situation uh, and at any age. And one thing that's very difficult to deal with is death of, of siblings or death of children. Uh, ch- children. I mean, they are horrific or, or suicide. They tend to leave huge questions and there's no time of anticipation, no time to address them. Mm-hmm. them. But no, in the general scheme of things, it, it, it should be something that we're comfortable to actually talk, 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 talk about. I mean, at the end of the day, forget about the, the Christian uh, viewpoint of life. is The human viewpoint of life is very simple. We're here for a limited period, period of time. We have our beginning. We have our end. In my view, yes, stardust we begin with and stardust we end up at however that, that happens. So we are in this liminal space, even for our whole life. And all that's really happening on the journey towards end of life is that time is compressing. It's, contract, it's contracting. And it's still that liminal space mm-hmm. until it eventually comes down to the moment. Now, can I ask you a little bit about yourself? Because it's a it's an interesting story. You came late to this calling and this oh profession. <laughs> Is that fair to say? I think it's very. Uh, <laughs> one look at the grey hair that's sitting in the city, city and grey beard that's sitting in front of front of you. Yes, um, I was aware maybe of a calling in my teenage years. Had decided that I had to dis- to make a choice between science and religion, but through. Four very good uh, teachers in Wesley College who themselves were active Christians and the science teachers. Um, and give them a call out, David Rice, John Leeson, Arnie Edge and Dick O'Connor, uh, as they were in my, in, in, in my day. They, as a teenager, they gave me permission to say, actually, no, science and religion can go together. But then I decided I was going to be a science teacher and come back and teach in Wesley. So do a science degree and come back. So I did the science degree, but the rest of it didn't actually quite work out. Went off, worked for most of my uh, working life at North America, multinationals, uh, came through into senior leadership roles at them, moved out into public service, worked for the IDA for a number of years during the crash in 2008, interesting time, and then continued my public service career in the universities, both in University College Cork as Vice President for External uh, Relations 
Institutions and here in Dublin, in Dublin City University as Vice President for International and External Affairs. Moved off after that into what I thought was my, you know, my, my retirement role as the Secretary General of the Irish Red Cross. And I was only one year in that magnificent role, really enjoy, enjoying it, when this role came up. And I'd been ordained along the way. I'd, I'd, I'd continued to work and was, as, as ordained. This role came up and I thought, at 60 years of age, they're unlikely to give me a shot at it. But when it comes up again at 63 or 65, they're definitely not going to give me a shot at it. So I threw my hat in the ring. And while the rest mightn't be history, here I am. And today, here you are. Today. Well, look, we'd love to talk to you again, uh, Trevor. It's, it's really fascinating and, uh, to and do so. lovely to speak to you. Thank you for coming in to see us. That's Reverend Trevor Holmes, who's a healthcare chaplain in North Dublin's acute hospitals. Thank you very much. We'll take a break. Text 51551 today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.